Well, thank you, praise team. That was such a great reminder. Our heart's desire is to worship the Lord. And friends, my heart is already full this morning. We have worshiped the Lord as we have sung well to the Lord, as we have dedicated a baby to the Lord, as we have commissioned our friends going to Haiti. My heart is already full this morning from all the Lord has done in our response to him in worship. Well, as we continue our journey through Ephesians, we come to the end of Ephesians chapter 4. And so I'll be turning there and I'll ask you this morning, has someone ever sinned against you? <laughs> yeah, everyone has had that experience, right? Probably this week and maybe even this morning, someone has sinned against you. We cannot stop that from happening. So the more important question for us is what do we do when someone sins against us? How do we respond when someone sins against us? Well, there's different options we can take. Some people, when they get sinned against, they get bitter and they dwell in it and they replay like a reel going over and over again in their mind what had happened. They keep reliving that offense. Other people retaliate physically, sometimes just retaliating with words. Other people, when they're sinned against, they withdraw. They withhold their presence. They give the cold shoulder. They punish people by a distance. Other people just brush it off. Oh, it's okay. Not a big deal. No worries. And they just excuse it. And friends, all those are common approaches to when we're sinned against, but none of those are appropriate responses if we're followers of Christ. How should we respond when we are sending us? Well, the Apostle Paul is going to tell us, and we come to that at the end of Ephesians chapter 4. Now, what he's going to tell us today flows out of his overarching argument, so we've got to make sure we understand where we are. So if you're visiting, here's the quick rundown of what we've been seeing. Ephesians 1 through 3 is our identity in Christ. Not what we've done, but what God has done for us, taking us as enemies and giving us a seat at his table, making us his friends, redeeming us, rescuing us. And then in chapter 4, Paul begins to now tell us, because of what Christ has done for us, you now walk worthy. You now begin to live out who God has already said you are. Here's how God sees you, your identity in Christ. Now you begin by his grace to live it out. He's modeled that for us with this pattern of putting off the old, putting on the new, getting rid of our life, things that are not consistent with our identity in Christ, and putting on things that are consistent with that Christ likeness. And Paul has told us a ton. He's talked a lot about our speech. He's talked about anger. He showed us all these things that should be different in our lives if we follow Christ. But he's not done yet. Because, friends, as we live in community together, even though we are redeemed people of God, we still battle a sin nature. I struggle with sin, and you struggle with sin. We all struggle with sin. As the redeemed people of God together, it's bound to happen. We're going to sin against one another. And so what will you do when I sin against you? And what will I do when you sin against me? Because how we answer that question affects greatly the unity that we've seen that's been emphasized throughout Ephesians. The Holy Spirit has been working to create unity among believers of all different backgrounds. And now the sin issue comes up because as the Holy Spirit is working to create unity, our flesh and the enemy and the world is all pulling us to divide, and particularly to divide when there's been a sin that has been committed. So what will we do when we sin against each other? Friends, again, we can get bitter and dwell on it, but that's not walking worthy. We can retaliate physically or with words, but that's not walking worthy. We can withdraw from someone to hold our presence, but that's not walking worthy. We can brush it off and pretend it never happened, but that's not walking worthy either. How do we walk worthy of our identity in Christ when it comes to us being sinned against? And that's what today's text shows. So we come to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Just one simple short verse this morning, but friends, if we can get our mind around it, it would revolutionize our lives our homes, and our church family. So can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. This one verse this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, last verse, verse number 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Would you pray with me? Father, I do thank you for the time of worship we've already had. Father, you are such a glorious God.
You are so worthy of all praise. And God, I thank you that you've not left us to dream up how to live on our own, but God, you've revealed in the pages of your word what you require of us and God, what you give us grace to do. So God, I pray this morning, this short little verse would come alive for us. God, that you would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit who inspired this would illuminate this verse and bring light to our lives, bring conviction where conviction is needed, bring encouragement where encouragement is needed, direction where direction is needed. Only you can do that. You can fill each of our hearts and show us what you want to do in light of your word this morning. We ask you to do that for your glory and for our joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So just one idea I want to see out of this one verse this morning is simply this. God gives us grace so we can forgive others in the same way he has forgiven us. God gives us grace. What we're talking about today is something we cannot manufacture. This is not a try-hard or just white-knuckle determination. Go to a conference, read a book, and start doing it. This is something that God has to enable us to do. The same grace that saves us is a grace that enables us to live in godliness. So God gives us grace to do what we can't do, and that's to forgive others who have wronged us, who have sinned against us, who have hurt us. God gives us the ability supernaturally to forgive others in the same way that he has forgiven us. God gives us grace so we can forgive others in the same way that he has forgiven us. Now, first of all, notice here there is a command for us as followers of Christ to forgive. Look back in verse 32 in that very first word, be. Be here is an imperative. It's a command. That means it's not optional. If we say we're a follower of Christ, that means we're submitting to his lordship, to him being our boss, our master. So he's saying, okay, if you're going to follow me, if I'm your, really your savior and your lord, this is what I require of you. You're to be kind, you're to be tenderhearted, and you are to be forgiving. But it's usually the exact opposite of what we saw last week, where we had been told to get rid of our lives. Any bitterness, any slander, any anger, any yelling, all those things were to put away. And instead, we're to intentionally put on these things, kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness to one another. Verse 32, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. But friends, what does it really mean to forgive? There's, it's a word we use all the time. We hear it, but there's a lot of misunderstanding among Christians what forgiveness really is. Now, first of all, to understand forgiveness, we have to make a really important distinction at the beginning. Forgiveness has to do with sin, not preferences. So if we're going to understand forgiveness, we have to, first of all, differentiate sin versus preferences. Because for so many things that we get offended about, that we get angry about, back to verse 31, that we have clamor about, where we yell and shout about, are not even sins. They're preferences where someone did something different than I would have done it, and we get angry about it. This isn't about that. That needs to be put off anyway. We're to live at peace with as much as it depends on us with all people. So preferences we learn to die to, to serve one another and have unity. We're talking today about forgiveness when we have been sinned against, as the Bible defines sin. So friends, if someone doesn't communicate in the way I want them to communicate, I don't need to forgive them for that. That's a preference. Someone doesn't tackle a situation the way I would tackle a situation. I don't need to forgive them for it. They didn't sin against me in that. They just did it different than I would do it. But, friends, if someone gossips, slanders, lies, speaks hurtful words, is divisive, steals, is impatient, shows sinful anger, those are all things that we've seen throughout Ephesians 4 are biblical sins. And when those happen, that's when forgiveness comes in. So at the outset, we distinguish preferences versus sins. If we could get just that one truth today, friends a lot would be a lot happier in our family lives, in our churches, in our community. Preference versus sins. But when we've been sinned against, what happens? As God defines sin, when someone has wronged us biblically, what do we do? Friends, we have two options at this point. One, we can make them pay for their sin. We can punish them for their sin. We can inflict something on them to make them pay for their sin against us. And there's there's lots of ways we do that. I think of three in particular we use to punish people for the the way they've sinned against us. Number one, we break the relationship break the relationship in some way. We withdraw. 
We give them the cold shoulder, so to speak. We give them the look of disapproval. We distance ourselves. And friends, when we're doing that, we're punishing someone who sinned by depriving them of our presence. We're punishing them by, by taking ourselves away from them, breaking that relationship to teach them a lesson, to punish them, to make them hurt because they hurt us. We are inflicting pain on them as a payment for their sin against us by depriving our presence. A, number, a second way that we can make them pay is we can make sure they know how wrong we think they are. We do that with our criticism, with our anger. Basically what we saw last week in verse 31, the clamor, the shouting, the angry words, the wrath, all that. We're making sure they know how wrong they are. And by doing that, friends, we're depriving them of our love. We're making them pay for their sin against us by depriving them of our love. We're showing conditional love and we're withholding our love from them to punish them for what they've done that has so offended us. But a third way that we make people pay for their sins against us is we gossip or slander about them. We go to other people and start talking about, can you believe what they did to me? They were so wrong. Can you believe they said this? And we begin to tell everyone else because we're trying to, to justify ourselves but destroy their reputation. We are depriving them of their reputation. We do that. We're making them pay by depriving them of respect from others. And that's so common even in the church. And when someone has sinned against us, we're going to punish them by depriving them of our presence. We're going to punish them by depriving them of our love. We're going to punish them by depriving them of respect in the community. Because all that is taking something from the person who wronged us. We're punishing them, and that's all unforgiveness. And that's stuff that we must, by God's grace, put off. Because all those approaches have no place in the life of a follower of Christ. There's a second way we can approach it when someone has sinned against us, and that is simply this, to forgive their sin. We're not going to punish them. We're going to forgive them. Now, what is forgiveness? There's, there's so many ways to unpack it. I want to give you a short definition in my mind of what forgiveness is. And it's this. Forgiveness is a decision to let go of a sinful against, offense against us. Forgiveness is a decision to let go of a sinful offense against us. Now, notice what that is not. Forgiveness is not a feeling. There's a lot of confusion about this. I need to just, I can't forgive them yet. I don't feel like I can. Friends, this has absolutely nothing to do with our feelings. Forgiveness is a choice, a decision we make. Just as anger is not just a feeling we have, anger is a choice we're making to a situation. Forgiveness is a choice I am making to a situation, not a feeling. And often what we find is we forgive people, even when we don't feel like it, the feelings by God's grace begin to follow as we obey God at the point of this decision. But forgiveness is also not just not a feeling, it's also not forgetting There's a lot of confusion in our culture about forgetting about past wrongs. Friends, forgetting is passive. You forget things as you get a disease like Alzheimer's that causes you to forget things. That's something passive that happens to you. Forgiveness is not passive. It is intentional, active. I'm going to step out and intentionally do something. And that is I'm not going to punish someone for how they wrong me. I'm not going to withhold my presence. I'm not going to withhold my love for them. I'm not going to take away their reputation. It's an intentional thing for us to do. You often hear people when they're apologizing, oh, oh, just forget about it, or no worries. Friends, that's not really helpful biblically. Because just to forget about it doesn't involve sin. It doesn't deal with the sin issue. Now, if it's a preference, yeah, just forget about it is great because we need to learn to die to our our own ways. But if a sin has happened, just forgetting about it doesn't tackle the sin issue and doesn't lead to real restoration. So forgiveness is a decision. It's not a feeling. It's not forgetting. But also need to be really clear on this. Forgiveness is not excusing sin. Forgiveness is not excusing sin. Sin. It acknowledges sin for what it is. The decision to forgive someone calls sin what it is. It doesn't do, it's okay, no worries. It goes, no, no, you sinned against me when you did that. And so, for instance, if you stole something from me and we were seeking biblical reconciliation, for me to be like, oh, no worries, it's okay, is a lie. It's not okay. 
You took something. You've offended God and you've offended me. It's not okay. It's not a no worries situation. You wronged me when you stole it. So we say, hey, I really believe you sinned against me when you took that. And it recognizes the pain of sin. You know, it hurt me when you did that. It's okay to say that when you're pursuing forgiveness. Like, you sinned in this and it hurt me when you did that. But yet it's still a decision to forgive. So it's not a feeling. It's not forgetting. It's not excusing sin. It is a decision to let go of a sinful offense against us. Now, now what does that practically look like? That's still kind of theoretical. I'm making a decision to let go of something. What does that really mean? There's a really helpful book I commend to you called The Peacemaker. Ken Sandy. It's on the Resource Center. It's on the back of your bulletin. Highlights it. He talks about when you forgive, there's four promises you make when you forgive. Now, I'm going to tweak that a little bit and change the wording a little bit because I can never leave well enough alone, right? I've got to change a little bit here. But, but I want to take this in terms of a decision. There's four decisions you make when you forgive someone that's really helpful when I think about it. And here's the four decisions you make when you forgive. The first decision you make is, I will not dwell on this incident. I will not dwell on this incident. If I'm going to forgive someone, I will not dwell on the sin they've done. Go back to verse 31, one verse before today's text. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Notice the first thing we get rid of, let all bitterness. We've often talked about that. Bitterness is when we think about a, something that's wronged us over and over and over, and it just goes deep into our heart and soul, and the anger just stays deep inside of us. That's bitterness. I'm making a commitment when I forgive to not dwell on this, and I'm going to quit doing that replay, that rerun in my mind of how you wronged me. So, friends, for example... Suppose someone has gossiped about you, and you found out this morning that someone has gossiped about you, and it hurts because it's a sin against you, and it's a deep pain. You have two choices. You can either all day long replay what they said that's going around the community about you, and just let it go through your mind like a rerun stuck on replay on your DVD. And you can see it over and over, and just all day long, you're sitting here, you're thinking about it. At lunch, you're thinking about it. When you go home this afternoon, you can barely work in the yard because you're thinking about it, and you're replaying it over and over. Forgiveness says, I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm going to put that off. I'm going to put off this bitterness. And friends, how do we put it off? We've seen it over and over, you put on something else in its place. We kind of suggest to you, if you're finding your mind running around and around of the wrong someone has done to you, think about Christ on the cross. Think about his grace and his mercy. It's going to be awfully hard to continue to replay that wrong someone did to you, that sin they did to you, when you're thinking about Jesus taking your place on the cross, crying out, it is finished because he's bearing your sin debt against God and God smiling on you, forgiving you for your sin. Put off dwelling on the incident. So the first commitment you're making, the first decision when you... Um, forgive is I will not dwell on this incident. The second decision you make when you forgive is I will talk to you, not someone else about the incident. I will talk to the person who sinned against me, not everyone else about the incident. That's a decision you're making when you forgive. Back in verse 31 again, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander or gossip could be put there. We put off gossiping, we put off slander there. Friends, when we've been sinned against, our default response so often in our flesh is we want to run and tell everyone else how we were wronged. We want to justify ourselves, make sure everyone else knows how awful that person was to us. That's not biblical forgiveness. Forgiveness is I go to the person who wronged me. I don't go talk about them to everyone else. I go to the person who sinned against me, and we talk about the sin, and we seek restoration. So, friends, again, you found out that your friend gossiped about you. You have a decision to make. Are you going to now get on Instagram and talk about how awful someone wronged you today? Are you going to put on Facebook, someone just wronged me. I hate people right now. Are you going to like start venting about this? Are you going to start calling all your friends, can you believe what they did to me? Or are you instead going to go to that person and say, hey, I am really hurt. I really feel offended because I believe you sinned against me. Can we talk about it right now and let's understand what happened? Now, let me get, I need to give some clarifications here. When I say I will talk to the person who sinned against me, not others, that does not mean you cannot get counsel. 
There's a, the Bible talks a lot about the counsel of many people. It's not wrong for you, and this is where you have to have a heart check on this, when someone has sinned against you to go to a trusted friend, a trusted family member, a trusted pastor, elder, deacon, Sunday school teacher here and say, hey, I believe this person sinned against me, but I know my heart can be deceitful. Can you help me think through this and how I should biblically respond? That's very different than talking to others about an incident on that, friends. It also means you can't take others along. Matthew 18 outlines a process where when someone sins, you go to that person, confront them in their sin. If they don't repent, you take someone else with you. So when I say don't talk to others about it, we're talking about gossip and slander. We're not talking about seeking wise counsel or even bringing someone else along for the good of the person's soul. So forgiveness, two decisions so far. I will not dwell on it. And I'll talk to you, not others, about it. Number three, forgiveness means I'm making a decision to not use the sin against you. I will not use this sin against you. Back in verse 31 again of what we're to put off. Let all bitterness, and here you go, wrath and anger and clamor, which we talked about last week means yelling or shouting. We had to put those things away from us. Friends, so often when we get in arguments with a spouse, a friend, a roommate, someone in church, whatever else, we become like an amazing historian, don't we? We can always remember every detail of every wrong they've ever done. And all of a sudden, we're so forgetful of so many things, but we can, we can tell you word for word. Do you know, three years ago, you told me dot, 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 and we put on the blanker. Do you remember when you did this seven times before? No, I'm not counting, but seven times you've done this to me so far in our three years. You know, we, we become amazing historians if people sin against us on that. That strife with that friend who had gossiped against you. If a year or two down there, you're having an argument and something happens. All of a sudden, you're like, do you remember two years ago when you gossiped? You haven't forgiven, friends. If we become historians who like to replay and bring things up to use it against a person, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is I will not use this against you ever again. Now, let me give a clarification here. i got a lot of these today. This doesn't mean we can't talk about it. There's such a misunderstanding that once you've forgiven something that you can never bring it up again. No, that, that's not what this means. You need to talk about it to bring reconciliation. But there's a difference in talking about it in love to find harmony than it is to use it against a person. Friends, if you are in a healthy relationship, think of what we've seen in Ephesians 4. You should be speaking the truth in love to one another. Friends, if you have a healthy relationship and the person you're in relationship with has sin patterns in your life, you're not loving them if you enable that sin. Forgiveness doesn't mean you don't talk about it. Forgiveness means you don't use it against a person. It's very different to sit down with your spouse, your roommate, your friend, and say, hey, and this is not in the middle of the heat of an argument, by the way, after the fact or some other time, when you sit down in a loving way and say, hey, I'm really concerned because I've seen this pattern. Not that I'm angry with you, I've forgiven you for it, but I have seen in my life, I want you to be free to speak into my life, but can we talk about this and let's help you grow, and I want you to help me grow. That's very different than using it against someone. So forgiveness is, first decision, I'll not dwell on it. Second decision, I'll not talk to others. I'll talk to you. Third decision, I'll not use it against you. And the fourth decision is I will seek restoration with you. I will seek restoration with you. Look back in verse 32 this morning. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgives you. Your goal in talking about the sin, your goal in hating this biblically is you want to be restored to the other person. This is your heart's desire in this. Now, again, a clarification this morning on this one. In a fallen world, this is not always possible. Because the other person may not always be repentant, or the sin may be such where it would be dangerous for you to go back into that. Friends, if someone is being physically abused, you don't need to give them the counsel. We'll just go forgive them and go right back to the abusive situation. That's not wise in that. There's places to where we desire restoration, but because of the brokenness of the fallenness of the world, we need to protect the innocent in this who've been sinned against and keep them safe from physical harm. This can include illegal things as well. Friends, forgiveness doesn't mean that people shouldn't have to go to jail for the sins that they have committed. We still forgive. We still desire restoration with that. 
And friends, also, let me just clarify this. It doesn't mean we always get rid of the consequences. Think about this even in, in parenting. When I discipline my kids, if they've sinned biblically, again, we don't discipline for preference as we discipline over biblical sin. That's a, that's a parenting talk for another day when we get further into Ephesians. But when we are disciplining for sin in our kids' lives, when they confess, let's, say they, let's say they lied to us about something. When they say, Daddy, I was wrong, I, I sinned against you in that, and we go, I forgive you, the relationship can be restored. That doesn't mean they don't ever get consequences for their sin. If they never get consequences... They'll never learn that in real life there are consequences. So parenting, we show forgiveness, but we also apply consequences at times, but other times we give mercy on that. So forgiveness does not mean there's no consequences. It means I am pursuing restoration as appropriate with you in this situation. So forgiveness is a decision. Four decisions. I will not dwell on it. Number two, I will not talk to others about it. Number three, I'll not use it against you. And number four, I will seek restoration as wise and possible in this situation. There's something else really important about forgiveness, friends. That is, forgiveness is ongoing. Forgiveness is continuous, not a one-time thing. Look back in verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The word be is present tense. That means it's to be ongoing. The word forgiving is present tense. That means it's ongoing. So perhaps you could translate this way. Continually be, continually forgiving. Like if you want to literally take it with the Greek tense here, continually be, continually forgiven. And it has to be that way till we get to heaven, friends. Because until we get to heaven, I'll still sin against you, and you're still going to sin against me. Though I pray by God's grace that we get sanctified as we grow, that diminishes, but we're going to still have our flesh battling us. We will still sin against each other until we see Jesus face to face. And so as we live in community, as we live with our families, as we live together as a church family, friends, we must continually be continually forgiven. But here's where it gets really hard. Even if it's the same person who sins against us over and over and over again. Because we don't want to continually be continually forgiven. It is hard for us, and it's not as hard for us, it was hard for Peter. Go back to Matthew 18. We're going to go back to Ephesians, but hold your finger and go to Matthew chapter 18 for just a minute. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus teaches about sin and approaching sin in people's lives. And so in Matthew chapter 18, this is a chapter that deals with how you approach what we call church discipline. If someone has unrepentant sin in their life, what is the biblical pattern we're supposed to follow as followers of Christ and community with one another? So Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, look at what Jesus says. If your brother sins against you... Go and tell him it's okay. No worries. No. Go and tell him it's fault. This deals with sin. Between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. What follows is how you, how you handle that. If he repents or he does not repent. But look at what Peter says after this happens. Go down to verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now realize what he's asking here on this. Because in the Jewish culture, the Jews taught that if you forgave someone three times, you had done your duty to the Lord. That three times was sufficient for forgiveness. So Peter's going to be really self-righteous. He's going to double what the, Jewish, the Jews required at the time. Hey, okay, Jesus, not three times, but if I forgive them seven, I'm doing pretty good, right? And what does Jesus say to him in verse 22 to Peter? Jesus said to him to Peter, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, friends, this is a symbolic number. It's not like I'm keeping record. Hey, my spouse offended me 74, 75. I'm going to be able to let him have it soon. Three more, 75, 76, 77. Here's number 78. Yay, I can let him have it finally. Now that, this is not like a literal progression. 77 is symbolic here to mean don't count. There is no end to it. This means your lifestyle should be ongoing to continually be continually forgiven. It is an ongoing decision we make day by day, hour by hour, to be forgiving the wrongs that have been done to us. And friends, that is hard. You may be thinking, man, it'd be really nice to see a model of this. So I can emulate this because this is tough, Maureen. Good news, 
There is a model of it for us. So go back now to Ephesians chapter 4, and Paul's going to tell us, okay, I know this is hard, so let me show you what this actually looks like. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as. Okay, you want to model? Here's what it looks like. As God in Christ forgave you. Friends, if you want to know how you're to treat other people in terms of when they sin against you, look at how God treated you in your sin. Saying this is really personal. This is not just how God saved people in a different people group somewhere else. This is not just what God did somewhere else in some distant family. This is how God treated you in your sins. Look at God's forgiveness to you and then copy it. Prince, what is God's forgiveness of us like? I want to show you several verses on the screen to help us think through what God's forgiveness of us is like so that we can model it. First of all, God's forgiveness of you and me is undeserved. God's forgiveness is undeserved. Romans chapter 6 verse 23, tells us that the wages of sin is death. That means, friends, every single one of us is sin. We know that from Romans 3. Every single one of us deserves death from God. Forgiveness is undeserved. But the free gift of God, what we get that is undeserved, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God's forgiveness, is, first of all, is undeserved. Second of all, it's unconditional. God doesn't forgive us once we take steps to Him. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Notice the timeline here. We looked at it recently. But God shows His love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. God purchased our forgiveness before we repented. God forgave us before we ran to him. His forgiveness is unconditional. This is what Jesus modeled on the cross. Think about it from Luke chapter 22. As Jesus is hanging on the cross, he's looking at the people who are crucifying him, and he's not like, man, I want to forgive them. I just, I'm waiting for them to take a step to me. He looks at these people who are still hating him, still crucifying him, and he calls out, Father, forgive them. Yeah, the ones who are still actively crucifying me. Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Jesus models unconditional. He doesn't wait for them to take steps in. He just goes ahead and forgives them. So God's forgiveness is undeserved. It's unconditional. But third, God's forgiveness takes sin very seriously. God doesn't tell you, it's okay. No worries. God names a sin biblically and calls you to repent of it. First John chapter 1 verse 9 shows us what this looks like. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness righteousness. There's no no worries here about it, friends. Forgiveness is God acknowledges our sin. We acknowledge our sin with our mouths to Him. He forgives us specifically how we have offended His holiness and His justice, and then He cleanses us from all the unrighteousness, from all the dirtiness in our life with it. God doesn't mince any words when it comes to sin. He tackles it very seriously. So God's forgiveness is undeserved. It's unconditional. It calls Him what it is. It takes it seriously. Number four, though, it provides real reconciliation with Him. God's forgiveness provides real reconciliation with him. Look at Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. This is what our sin has done to our relationship with God. But your iniquities, another word for your sin, have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Friends, our sins have separated us from God. He is so holy, so perfect, so glorious, he cannot even be in the presence of sin. And because we've offended him so vastly with all the sin of our hearts, the sins of our thoughts, the sins of our words, the sins of our actions... Our desires, we're separated from Him. But God provides real reconciliation. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. Ephesians 2, we've seen this recently. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, in verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now look at verse number 6 here. He raised us up with Him, seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do not miss that language of He seated us. Isaiah 59, we are separated from God because of our sins. And Ephesians 2, we are now seated with God. Think of what it means when you sit down at someone's table with them. The relational connection you feel when you're seated with them. 
our Creator who's holy and just and perfect and all-glorious, who cannot tolerate the presence of sin, has now made a way for us to sit down next to Him at His table. We sing the song some here. I love it. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, I thank you. This is a profound image for us. And God's forgiveness provides that real of a reconciliation with him that we can now be seated at his table. But the last thing about God's forgiveness is undeserved. It's unconditional. It takes sin seriously. It provides real reconciliation. Number five, it's very costly to him. Forgiveness is very costly. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 tells us that. But now in Christ Jesus... Once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For God to forgive us, friends, was not pain-free, was not easy, and then just a brushing off something. Jesus had to go to the cross and bear all the wrath a holy God had to pour on sin, and he took it for us. It cost him his life. It cost him having his back beaten as he was stripped and hanging on that wood, trying to push up to breathe with nails in his hands, the pain shooting through his body, and then to see the sky darken as the Father looks away. And for all eternity, he'd been in perfect relationship with the Father. The Father looks away, and he feels the weight of the wrath of God on his shoulders on the cross. Friends, forgiveness came at a very high cost to Jesus. So what does our forgiveness for others need to look like? Go back to Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as, in the same way as, God in Christ forgave you. So what should our forgiveness to others practically look like? Friends, it's undeserved. We're giving to people who don't deserve it, just as we don't deserve forgiveness. Someone has sinned against us, they've wronged us, but we are choosing to give them what they do not deserve. Instead of justice, instead of making them pay for it, we're choosing to extend grace the way God did. Friends, our forgiveness of others is unconditional. We can forgive even before they repent. Forgiveness is a decision that you and I make in our hearts not something for them. So often I feel like as believers, we put some arbitrary standard in place. Well, well, I'll forgive them. I'll be sure once they show me they're sorry, once they take the step, once they really try to come back to me, once they call again, and we put all these arbitrary things in place as a criteria, as a test for restoring relationship. No, friends. Biblically, God did not do that with us. He showed unconditional forgiveness to us. He did not wait for us to meet some arbitrary standard. He forgave us while we were still sinners. Number three, then, it means we take sin seriously. It means we distinguish preferences versus sin. And when sin happens, we speak of it. We don't avoid it. We go to the people we're in relationship with and we love and say, hey, I really feel like you sinned against me. And this, can we talk about it? And with much humility and much grace, we take sin seriously. Number four, we seek real reconciliation. Like God, he seated, he seats us at his table. We seek as appropriate, as I mentioned earlier, to restore relationship with the person. But friends, number five, it means it's very costly. It is not easy to forgive this way. Friend, it means that we, instead of inflicting our pain on others, we may take the pain ourselves. We have to look to God's grace to do it. It means we don't say words that in our flesh we want to say. It may, it may mean that it has cost us things physically or even materially. Friends, forgiveness can be very costly. But like God extends to us, we, we should extend to others undeserved, unconditional forgiveness that takes sin seriously, that seeks reconciliation, even if it's costly for us. It's kind of remind us that God takes it very, very seriously if we don't do this. If you still have your finger in Matthew 18, flip back over there. If not, you can look on the screen. But I want to go back to Matthew 18. Because this is, again, the text where we're told to confront sin in other people's lives. It's where Peter has a hard time with that reality of doing that. So he asked Jesus, is seven enough? And Jesus says, no, no, forgive 77 times. I want you to see what follows next. Because Jesus tells a parable, a story, to help us understand how important it is that we forgive others the same way he forgives us. This is not like an optional thing. Again, if we are followers of Christ... We're calling Christ our Lord. This is what he requires of us. So Matthew chapter 18, let's go back to verse 22 just for context. Jesus said to him, to Peter, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now verse 23, how Jesus continues, the very next words out of his mouth. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king 
who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one who was brought to him, who owed him 10,000 talents. A lot of money is what's important. Don't worry about the talents. This is a ton of debt here. Verse 25. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children. All they had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. So again, contrast. He owed 10,000 denarii. Now he's got someone who owes him 100. This is minuscule. This is tiny compared to his own debt. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. And seizing him, began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe! Verse 29. So his fellow servants fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. Verse 30. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, I should say, as they should have been, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers who should pay all his debt. Now watch this. This is the application of this, this parable here. So also... My heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is a comparison Jesus is drawing for us. Friends, because we will get sinned against in this world, but the offense people have given to us pales in comparison to our offense against God. We're not holy. We're not glorious. We're not almighty. God is. And we have offended that with God. All of us are shaking our fist at God. Maybe not literally, but figuratively saying, not your way, God, but mine. We've all lived for ourselves and we've trampled upon his holiness and he's given us grace upon grace and we trample on and continue in sin patterns and we've offended him over and over and over and over and over. And God says, I forgive you. Forgive others the way I forgave you. And we're like, no, I'm going to hold that grudge against that person who took that from me or said that mean thing to me. And friends, their offense is pales in comparison to our offense against God. That is so important in God's mind. Look back in Matthew chapter 6, in the Lord's Prayer, when the disciples say, how do we pray? And we have this beautiful prayer of our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Know that prayer. Notice what it says about forgiveness. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as, in the same way as we have forgiven our debtors. Let us sink in. He says, the way you pray to God is, God, I want you to forgive me in the exact same way I forgive everyone who sinned against me. Friends, can we really with integrity pray that? What would happen if God treated us and our sin the way we treated all those family members and friends and people at church and co-workers and classmates who sinned against us? Do we really want God to forgive us in the way that we forgive other people? Friends, I ask that because we all need to grow in putting off our bitterness, putting off our anger, putting off our fighting, and we need to grow in grace and putting on biblical forgiveness. But friends, I don't want us to come away with just a, I need to try harder on this. In fact, my main idea for us to consider change Friday morning as I was wrestling with this text, originally all week long as I was thinking about this sermon and working on it, my idea was going to be we must forgive others in the same way God's forgiven us, which is consistent with Matthew 18. It is a command we're expected to do, but friends, we can't do that in our own strength. And I began to be convicted on Friday morning as I was thinking about this. The only way we can do this is by God's grace. I can't try harder and muster this up, and you can't either. That's why God gives us the grace to forgive others in the same way he has forgiven us. So friends, how do we find grace? What is it again? How do we tangibly experience God's grace in such a way that we can forgive others? I'll give you several things I want us to pursue doing that I believe will help put us in the path of God's grace. Number one, we need to reflect on God's forgiveness of us. We've got to reflect on God's forgiveness of us. Thinking about the gospel. Friends, 
if we can get our mind around those 10,000 talents that God's forgiven us, how in the world can we withhold forgiveness of a person who owes us 10 or 100 when we've offended God 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000 over and over and over again? We reflect on God's forgiveness of us. And don't miss this, friends. This is incredible. When we repent, God forgives even our unforgiveness. If we will go to the Lord in repentance and confession, He will forgive even our unforgiveness and His mercy. So think about we dwell on God's forgiveness. Number two, we study the Word. Friends, if we really want to experience grace to forgive others, we go back to the Word of God and, and we feast on it. Because in the Word of God, we find out who God is. We see, we don't just need to memorize one verse on forgiveness. We need to look at the totality of God's work and see His character of a just, holy God who forgives all of our iniquities. And we dwell on the character of God. We remember on the gospel where God forgives even our unforgiveness. And then we anchor ourselves because as we say the Word of God, we realize what's sin and what's not. If we can understand what's sin and what's preference, then maybe we could quit arguing and fighting over things that aren't even sins, as God calls them sins. So we study the Word of God to see the character of God and see His plan for our lives. Number three, though, we ask God to give us a heart for others. We haven't prayed that. It's a good thing for all of us to start praying. God, would you give me a heart for others. Again, think back to our verse this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another. Notice the next word, tender-hearted. Friends, if we are tender-hearted to one another, how can we withhold forgiveness? Forgiveness grows in a heart that has been changed by God to love other people. Unforgiveness and bitterness and wrath and anger and shouting and yelling, all that grows out of a heart that's all about me and it's all about our selfishness. Friends, we need to pray and ask God to give us a heart for others, out of which forgiveness will flow. So we reflect on God's own forgiveness of us. Number two, we study the word of God. Number three, we ask God to give us a heart for others. And then finally, friends, we need to ask God for help forgiving. It is tough. It is hard. It is not easy. So we just cry and say, God, I'm having a hard time forgiving this person. Would you help me forgive them? Again, this book, The Peacemaker, I recommend to you. It's really fascinating. He has a whole chapter in here on forgiveness. And he says this. He says, there have been times when my honest prayer was this. God, I cannot forgive him in my own strength. In fact, I do not want to forgive him at least until he suffered for what he did to me. Don't you appreciate his honesty? Most of us probably haven't written that down, but I think we've all felt that at times. I do not want to forgive him, at least until he suffered for what he did to me. He does not deserve to get off easy. Everything in me wants to hold it against him and keep a high wall between us so he can never hurt me again. But your word warns me that unforgiveness will eat away at my soul and build a wall between you and me. More importantly, you show me that you made the supreme sacrifice, giving up your own son in order to forgive me. Lord, Please help me to want to forgive. Please change my heart and soften it so that I no longer want to hold this against him. Change me so that I can forgive and love him in the same way you have forgiven and loved me. Friends, how do we experience God's grace to forgive? We reflect on the God's forgiveness of us. We study the word of God to understand who God is and understand what sin is. We ask God to give us a heart for others out of which forgiveness will, will grow. And then ultimately in the moment when we don't want to forgive, we ask God for help and say, God, I'm your child. I can't do this, but you can give me grace. Help me want to forgive and help me forgive now, though it is tough. And friends, God delights in those cries for help. Because when we forgive, when in a human perspective we can never forgive, it shows his bigness. It's not us doing it. It's him working through us. It's his grace. And it magnifies his forgiveness. Us forgiving others, not in our strength, but in his strength, magnifies his forgiveness, magnifies his power, his glory, his grace. And he loves to delight in those prayers when we cry and say, God, help me do what I cannot do. Help me forgive this other person. Friend, God gives us grace so we can forgive others in the same way that he has forgiven us. So two questions for you as we wrap up. First, have you experienced God's saving grace? Have you experienced being seated at the table of God? Not just have you prayed a prayer, not just have you done the motions, but can you say, I am seated at God's table having a relationship with my holy, awesome creator?
Have you experienced that? But the second question, friends, if you have, are you experiencing God's grace that doesn't just save you, but you experience His grace that's enabling you to forgive others even when you've been greatly wronged? And perhaps even this coming week, this Thanksgiving week, there is someone that has sinned against you that for years you have kept distance between. You've been punching them. And perhaps this is the week that God is calling you to extend to others the same grace He's given to you. And let's pray this week that perhaps some broken relationships in all of our lives might be mended because of what God has done and what God will do through us. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for your gospel, your good news, that while we were still sinners, Christ, you died for us. Lord, I pray we would treasure that. God, I pray that this Thanksgiving season, Lord, as we think about all the many blessings we have, and Lord, we have so many blessings. God, we want to be thankful for those, but God, I pray we won't miss being thankful for the most important blessing we have, that is us now seated at your table. God, I pray all throughout this week that you would just remind us that we once were your enemies and we are now seated at your table. And God, we will say thank you over and over and over and over again over this week. God, all this week that you'll remind us of how much you have forgiven us. And God, we will respond with great thankfulness to you during this Thanksgiving week. As we treasure, as we celebrate your grace that has forgiven us of so, so very many offenses. But God, we ask for your grace as well, not just to save us, but your grace to grow us, to sanctify us, Lord to enable us to forgive in the same way that you have forgiven us. God, I don't know what's going on in each of these friends' lives, but you do. God, you know if there's some broken relationship, perhaps between, even between a husband and wife or a parent and a child or between friends at school or between even people in this room, Lord, where someone's been harboring bitterness and unforgiveness and anger and yelling and all these things. I pray this would be the week, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will just speak that into their life and show them very clearly the relationship that they need to pursue showing biblical forgiveness for, to show pursuing forgiveness the way that you have forgiven each one of us. God, I pray this week that relations where the enemy has divided, whether in homes or churches or business places, would be the week that Lord, the enemy's battles have been lost because the gospel speaks into the situation. God, we can't manufacture that, but you can because you're a big God. You can do far more abundantly than we could ask or imagine. So we ask it big this week, asking you to heal relationships even this week. Even as Jeff was praying in our offering time this morning, asking you to, to work even in Thanksgiving gatherings this week. Lord, we just echo that again. Asking for you to give us much grace in all of our situations this week to show the love of Christ and your forgiveness to all around us. And we will give you the praise. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning?